and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Steve Tauber, who is a CTO at Made With Love. This is a company which we will hear more about from Steve. First of all, let me welcome you and please tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Thanks for having me. My name is Steve Tauber. I'm an American and I live in Croatia. I moved here eight years ago. I'm a storyteller and uh, my current role is one where I am firefighting CTO. I join companies that are struggling and I help them through this dire straits. I'm one of many CTOs at Made With Love and we also have engineers on staff. And I like sci-fi books and I, I used to be an engineer before I realized the error of my ways. And now I am a CTO. I moved through the product side of things though. So I switched from engineering to product and then back to the engineering side. Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm sure you will have a lot of stories to tell us today, or I hope so at least. Today, our topic is something that's quite interesting. It's the startup audit and with that, the technical audit. I know that you have your own audit process. So before we jump anywhere near the topic, let's look at the topic, what it is and what are the possible scenarios when you do a technical audit for your startup? For sure. So uh, I'm the lead auditor at Made With Love. And um, what we do is we come to companies that are struggling, as I said, and usually the first thing we do is we do an audit for them. There's another scenario where the company is planning to do seed round or series A investment or potentially series B, that's a smaller case. And those people will reach out to us and ask for a technical due diligence as well. This is part of the raising money process. So we'll also do those audits as well. So why would you ever get audited? Well, the reason is because you either suspect that something's going awry on your engineering team, or perhaps development has just slowed down, or you have a big question, a strategic question that you're trying to answer. For instance, should we rewrite our software? So we will come in and we will talk to the people on your team. We will interview them just like you're interviewing me. And it's really a conversation. And then from there, we write a report that is understood by non-technical people. We remove all the technical language out of it. So really even the most non-technical CEO or founder or investor could understand it. And then we present our findings so that they can make the decisions they need to make and move forward. Wow. It sounds like a a very interpersonal job to be honest. It is for sure. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I left engineering actually, because it was just put my headphones on, play with code all day. And it was way too introverted for me. So now I get to talk to people every day. Nice. So let's talk about your process so we can better understand it. I understand that you have five pillars of your process. If you could explain that to us, uh, then maybe we could all be on the same page. Sure. Traditional technical audits, they're usually a really checklist system of tell me about your infrastructure, tell me about your software. 
And then they'll get code access and they'll go through and try to match up what's reality with what you've filled in on this checklist. Some companies won't even actually get code access. They just go by the checklist they have. And we really don't like that approach because it misses a, a huge amount of information that's really important to the engineering team. So what we do is we have our five pillars. The first one is team and leadership, which is focused on how the team is functioning on an interpersonal level. Our second pillar is processes, which is focused on really engineering processes, how the work is done rather than what is done. The third pillar is written communication, which is all about what's being written down by technical and non-technical people. The fourth pillar is the engineering product itself. So the architecture and the infrastructure, and we do in fact do a code audit there. And then the last pillar is called problem and solution. And that's really about the product management processes. So the inputs to the engineering team and how the work is being shaped before it arrives on the team. And across all of these, we talk to people so that we can understand how the individuals on the team are interacting. And the reason for that is because according to Google's research, it's called Project Aristotle, they've identified that the number one trait of high performance teams is psychological safety. So we're really trying to establish this, make sure that the processes support it, make sure that the engineering product is well thought out, making sure that it's well shaped, and that the quality is quite high. I love it. So you mentioned that you conduct interviews and that you at the end give somewhat of a, of a presentation of your findings. What is sort of the process of going from beginning to end yep. with, the, with the audit? Great question. And I really like that question because that's usually one of the first questions we ask. So the, what we do is uh, when we have an audit, we uh, start with a baseline interview with the most senior technical person. This is usually a CTO, but it doesn't have to be. And that interview lasts about an hour and a half to two hours. From that, we then have a pretty good idea about the landscape of the product and the team and the struggles that they're having. Or if it's for an investment, we're understanding the context of all of the different pillars. And this allows us to understand who we need to talk to with on the team. From there, we interview between three to seven more people, and then we have the whole uh, org chart. So we'll decide, okay, we wanna talk to this person or this particular lead or this junior engineer. And from that, we go and we have hour long interviews with each person. After that, we spend a couple days to write our report and we have usually a 15 to 20 page report that we, that, that's the artifact that comes out of this process. We recap with the first person we talk to, that really senior person, um, just to give them a, a debrief of what our initial findings are before we write the report. And then when we deliver the report, we also have a Q&A session with the recipients and potentially we will attend board meetings and present the report to a board of investors or a board of advisors. And then when it comes to the way we do it, we just have a conversation with people. We ask them questions just like you did from start to end. What does your day look like? How do you go from idea to a delivered product? Walk us through that. And we'll of course interrupt and ask more questions, but that gives us a really broad picture of how the business functions. And from that, we can then dive deep into specific uh, concerns that we have. Right. So that sounds like a consulting job, you know? Do you ever work with the companies after you have completed the audit to kind of help them make the necessary changes? 
Yeah, definitely. So when we deliver our report, it's it's based in two. Each pillar has two different sections. The first is the observations, and you can think about this as the Columbo, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And this is really just what is occurring at the business. And the second section is the concerns that we have. So we're highlighting specific problems that we think could affect the growth and scalability and functioning of the team. From that, it's up to the team to take that and decide what they themselves can fix or what they need help in order to fix. And so we're always there that if they decide, okay, this is a really big problem, we can't fix this by ourselves, then we're definitely willing to come in and, and help. When we join a project in order to help them, our goal is not to fix the underlying issues per se, but instead to mentor and train the people that are at the business. So for instance, when we work on an engineering project, we're usually coming with both the leadership side, this is where I come in as the firefighting CTO, and then also the engineering side. And our goal is not to be an agency and just, for instance, build new functionality, but instead work with the team that's there and train them how to do it in a better way. From Simon Sinek, Find Your Why, our internal why is to nurture people and to help them grow and become better at what they're doing. So if we join a team that is understaffed, we will help hire our own replacements. And our goal is to step away after about six months to 18 months so that that team is able to thrive. And that means making sure that they can actually stand on their own and they'll continue to be able to succeed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Could you maybe give us like an example as to like what kind of things that you might find or, or anything that makes it a bit more tangible for, for sure, our listeners? For sure. Yeah. So um, one example is there's a company in Belgium, uh, the made with love businesses based in Belgium. So you have a lot of Belgian clients. There's a company there called Flexmail and um, they help with marketing via email and so we performed an audit for them and um, we found specific problems that had to do with, for instance, the structure of the team and definitely problems with the code itself. Um, and so we brought in a product manager and we brought in software engineers and we helped reshape the way that that team functioned. And then we also helped build new functionality. And as we're doing that, we're working with their engineers and we do things like teach people how to um, communicate in a more agile way. And what does that mean? It means doing pair programming and real true collaboration, making sure that people have time to focus deeply on their work and not be stuck in meetings all day where you want to tear your hair out because the topic just isn't interesting to you. But also on the hard engineering side, making sure that the um, continuous integration and continuous deployment pipeline is working properly making sure that the code is well tested and well structured so that it's easy to make changes later and making sure that everything is documented well so that if someone has to leave the team urgently, the information is not lost. So we have this concept of not being a remote first company, but being a knowledge first company and making sure knowledge is easily flowing through the organization. Knowledge first. I love that. So if, Someone is talking about getting an audit or if they, even if they're not getting one, but they want to prepare for one, what would be somewhat 
the steps that you would recommend to get ready for for such an audit? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it's really hard to prepare for an audit. Usually people are too close to their company, so it's very difficult to understand really what's going wrong with the company. That can be a challenge. But there's usually employees at each company that are really raising the alarm bells and saying things over and over again. They're not always right, but usually there's kind of this repeat pattern of, look, this is a problem, we should address it. And unfortunately, we find that many times when we're doing an audit, we're just repeating the same information that the company already knows. They've heard it before. They just need a neutral third party to tell them that same information. And so how can you prepare for an audit? Well, if you think you need an audit, you can take a step back and you can reflect on the ways in which the information is flowing through your team, the way that the product is built, what are the values behind the product? Is there enough proper shaping going on of the um, ideas before it's delivered to the engineering team? How is the team structured? Do people have psychological safety and do the processes support this? On our website, we have a blog post. It's called Why Tech Startups Fail. And it's based on auditing 50 plus companies of SaaS startups. It's the information we found that's the most common reasons why these companies are failing. And it's, it's a lengthy article, but there's a lot of detail in it. And you can really start to understand the common patterns that we see across these, these different startups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm starting to think about how this goes down and um, and you are a CTO and someone who is technically well-versed. What kind of other know-hows do you employ when you are conducting your audit? Like what other kinds of positions are on your team? Yeah. So when we're doing an audit, it's, it's composed of two people performing the interviews. Usually, sometimes there's a third person, but it's really that interviewer and then a note taker just to make sure we're not missing anything. And then in addition to that, we do the code review itself. So we're looking at the repositories. We're looking at the way that the infrastructure is designed, um, the way that the system is the system maybe too big rather than too small. Can it scale easily? So we definitely dive into the, the deeper aspects. We have um, very senior engineers that that help us with that. I'm not writing code every day. So it's it's definitely an area that it's very easy to lose that edge. So I, I absolutely rely on a fantastic team of engineers that can, can dig in and, and find specific problems. But this is a very different type of audit than those checklist audits. We're not so concerned with finding, okay, in this class line 23, it needs to be changed, or you have a problem on a specific component that needs to be repaired. We're more concerned with the way in which the work is done because that's what's going to ultimately lead to the team being able to repair it or if the problems will stagnate because they're just incapable of responding to what we've highlighted as a concern. So we don't necessarily go as deep into the, the technical side of things, but we can often find specific problems that have been stagnating, perhaps technical debt that has been ignored, or situations where there's even security concerns because there's uh, security hashes that are checked into a code repository and an attacker might be able to gain access to it. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You talked a lot about psychological safety. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering, like, is there, and there, in my opinion, there is always room to improve 
whatever kind of team you're working in. Do you usually find that teams need like more technical tips or more tips for, for interpersonal communications or creating that sort of open environment in which they can share? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that for the majority of teams that we audit, it's actually quite okay. I think that there is a subselective teams that certainly need to spend more energy on the way in which people are communicating. And I think this is the fault of the traditional agile scrum methodology with scrum masters and product owners and engineers. It's very rigid structure, actually, when it comes to scrum and the idea that if we have a daily stand up and if we do retrospectives, everything will be fine. But that's not really the case because oftentimes these are very just surface level interactions and there's no true collaboration that occurs between people. Um, so that's one area that can always be improved. I think another part of that is that many times you'll have a senior engineer that is very, very talented. And for some reason, the people that are in charge decide that this person should also be a people manager. They should lead the team on the day-to-day -day people stuff that needs to occur. And these are two entirely different skill sets. And I think that if teams reflect on who they have inside people manager positions, this is one way you can decide, okay, is this person really well suited for this or not? Engineering managers especially have a great talent at being able to bridge that gap between interacting with the technical personnel and really having the people management skills that are necessary. And then the third thing I'll say is that almost every team we talk to fails on the problem and solution pillar. And that's really about the product management processes. So is the vision written down? And does everyone on the team understand what that vision is and how it influences their day-to-day -day work? Understanding that context is so important. What, is, what, what are you doing with uh, task prioritization? Do you have one person that is in charge of the task prioritization? And that, do they use data to actually do the prioritization? Or is it just what's called HIPPO, highest paid person's opinion? And that's the nice. type of prioritization because it's just totally made up out of nowhere. So do you actually talk to your customers? Do you validate and prove that their problems are real problems? Do you prototype and test those solutions before you decide to implement it in your product? And this is oftentimes the case, no. Engineers love to build stuff. And so what do they do? They go and they build stuff and they haven't stopped to think about, is this the best way to build it? Or even, am I solving a real problem? Or are they curious about what other people have to say about what they've built? Absolutely, yeah. The greatest inventions, probably aren't very useful. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> nice one. Okay. So we have talked about your audit process and my job is to talk to people. So I am, I am really into the whole approach, but, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will, will think about this. Is there anything that you are missing? Have you found that there is room for improvement or have you noticed any blind spots in your, in your system? Yeah. So one thing we don't do, we don't cover any of the business side of audits or the financial side of audits. Usually we're working in partnership with uh, VCs, the venture capitalists. So they'll be handling all of that. They'll be handling the market and the target addressable market and 
making sure that the business case actually makes sense. We're really focused on can the engineering team deliver? Can they scale? And what types of problems might they be encountering as they're scaling? Because basically what the VCs are looking to do, they're looking for a team that can function and then they want to pour gasoline on the fire and just see it go. That's what they want. So the question is, is the team ready for that gasoline? Because sometimes that will just simply smother the team. Mm -hmm. Where does our process fall short? Well, again, we're not going as deep into the technical side of things as uh, some other checklists will. But the reason for that is because, again, we're covering these four other pillars. And beyond that, I think you're right, there's always room to improve. We're very proactive about maintaining those relationships with investors to try to find the gaps that we have. We don't often find them. Um, I think that a lot of teams, they'll receive our report and they can work with it. We have to be very careful about maintaining the expectation. We're gonna identify the problems for you, but it's up to you to provide the solutions. We're not gonna come in and tell you that right off the bat. Oftentimes we don't know, and only through working with the team do we actually discover that? Because we're talking about eight interviews that last a total of nine hours. That's really about one day's worth of time with the team. Right. Um, that being said, we can get pretty close to the fundamental problems inside a team. So um, we've seen many situations over and over and over again. So we've developed this kind of spidey sense for what's going on. So if we hear certain keywords, we'll say, okay, we need to dive into this. Or... There's just common patterns that arise, uh, right. just based would on the you, way the teams function. Right. Would you, would you care to like maybe give us a story or a specific keyword that you, yeah. that maybe if someone is monitoring themselves, they can listen to how their colleagues are talking yeah. about the product or the processes and they can think, okay, I should really dive deep into this. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think one thing to look out for, for teams that follow agile processes, really challenge why you're doing specific things. So a great example is daily standups. Okay. So according to agile scrum processes, you should have a daily standup with your team. And this is definitely true for teams that are junior, because the goal of the standup was to bring people together so that they can discuss, identify what they're working on, radiate their intent so that other people are not surprised when they begin doing something and collaborate, right? Set up those threads of collaboration. And so we'll often see that junior teams don't have standup and we'll say, okay, yeah, you should have a standup so you can begin fostering this communication. But then when it comes to being an advanced team, the standup goes away again. And the reason is because that the team has really embraced that collaboration. So they don't need stand-up anymore. It's just a waste of time now because it's 15 minutes out of their day when they could be doing something more productive because they're already good at collaborating. They're already good at communicating. They're already good at radiating intent. And so I think that teams really need to question why they're doing specific things. When you learn about a new process, why are you implementing it? Is it something that you actually need at this point? Is the team mature enough to do it? And so that's one thing you can do is your team might be using modern processes, but you should be able to challenge them why they're using it and they should be able to explain to you why they're using it. So that's one thing you can look out for is a non-technical person that's managing a technical team. The other thing you can do is you can look at the retrospectives that you have, which we absolutely encourage. That's a great process to have is just sit back and reflect on your work. This is something that 
great organizations do. If you're Real Madrid and you just uh, won your semifinal for Champions League, you're going to go and watch tape of the game. And you're going to see what are the mistakes that you made so you can try to prevent them for the future, right? And you need to have a good system to give feedback to individual people so that they can understand and adapt and improve. And that system, that feedback loop needs to be very good. And not only do you need to highlight the problems, but you need to act on the problems. So does your organization have a way that you are taking the learnings and actually doing something with them? So these are just a couple of the things we look for in the team and leadership in the process. Do you have these feedback loops in place? Are people actually changing their behaviors based on the feedback loops? Are you communicating to the people in a way that they're going to be receptive? Because you, the speaker, you, the person giving the feedback, it's your job to make sure that your message is received. If you're just yelling at someone and they're upset and they're not really listening, they're not ready for the feedback, you've wasted a lot of time and probably a lot of energy and a lot of emotion on something that's not going to change because they're not ready to listen. So you need to make sure you craft your message in a way that will, will lead to a better outcome. Right. Um, thank so, you. Sorry, go ahead. Th thank you for, yeah. for sharing those uh, ideas. I think it I, gives our listeners more of a sense as to what you do and, and what they should be paying attention to. What you said, said just uh, gave me um, a memory. I conduct retrospectives and um, what I have found is that a lot of the times people are not very engaged in the action items because they don't get followed up on. And so with teams that I work with, I always start the retrospective with a look back as to what were the action items that we have discussed and have the, the assignees actually completed the task that they, that they took responsibility for. So it's, I think it's a great point. It's not. It's not enough to just conduct the retros. You also have to make sure that the action items are actually carried out. And with that said, I would like to invite you to maybe tell us a success story as to what a technical audit looked like and even without the name of the company mm -hmm. and what the key takeaways were that you that you kind of highlighted to the company and then how they interacted with your outcomes or how they fixed some issues yeah i think i think flexmail is a is a good case of that so again we we had an audit and from that they definitely saw the problems that we were highlighting and they uh, invited us to join their company and again it's not obligatory that that occurs because we really believe that when we deliver the reports Anybody should be able to take that and execute on it if you have the expertise. And so we really stand behind that. I think that's the big challenge is usually for companies that are doing an audit. So there's kind of two cases. One we'll call Gordon Ramsay's startup nightmares. This is where you're, you're not certain what's going on. Maybe something's foul in the kitchen. You need to figure out what it is. And the, the other version is ghostwriting startups, which is really about like corporate entrepreneurship. And then the third case is where it's really in preparation for, or part of a, of an investment for a series A, series B or seed round. So in the first case where it's ghostwriting startups, or sorry, where it's a Gordon Ramsay startup nightmares, where something's not going on. Maybe the CEO has lost trust in the technical side of the house or the CTO in particular, maybe engineering has just completely slowed down with their delivery and you want to figure out why and what's going on there. So in these situations, 
it's possible to come in and really identify the, the pain points. Again, usually it's almost always the shaping of the work before it reaches the engineering team. This is like the number one thing that new startups do. They have really good engineers, but then the requirements, the, the outcomes are a bit unclear. They're a bit fuzzy. They're lacking context. And then that's what's missing for the engineers to be able to execute. So they receive the work, but they're just missing all the puzzle pieces. You have to be able to see the full playing field before you can actually start building things up as an engineer. You need that context. It's so, it's so important. Um, and the reason it's important is because engineers, their job isn't really to write code. Their job is to create abstractions. They're trying to mimic and model the real world. And unless you deeply understand the domain, you don't know what trade-offs to make. And you need that context. And so this is the type of thing we've done before. At Flexmail, again, it was more about team shape and uh, making sure that the work was flowing in a proper way. And of course, there were technical challenges, but those were able to be overcome. And so today the company has grown quite immensely. We, we worked with them for a long time, but we've stepped away and, uh, and they're thriving. And that for us is the success that they can continue on their journey. They can take the lessons to heart and they can really understand our philosophy behind work and then continue to build on it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We are talking about this as a, as a kind of like a one-off thing that a company does in specific situations, which you have highlighted here. Is there any scenario in which this is kind of a, a regular thing? Or is there a case study when you kind of did an audit, you helped the company, and then you came back to do it again when they have made some changes to the processes? For sure. There's one company we worked with for an audit and um, we discovered they had a hybrid uh, hardware and software solution and their CTO was, uh, had great expertise on the hardware side, but on the software side was, was really missing some things. So this is a concern we highlighted and the investment team decided that they wanted us to come and do another audit later in the year. So I think it was about eight months later, we came back and did another audit and saw, okay, like has the team adapted based on our report? Have they grown or is it the exact same problems as they are? Um, so this is, this is a nice way that an investment team can have a little bit more security in their investment. Um, and based on that, sometimes we're invited to then even join the team and help make the changes ourselves in a direct way. There's other companies that ask us to do an audit once a year just to verify that everything is still on track. And this is especially true with high growth companies that are like when you're going from series A to series B, maybe your engineering team is growing from five engineers to 25 engineers. And every time you double your team size, all of your processes are going to break. You have to change everything. So that's very hard to do unless you have a CTO that's done that before. And so this is where we can come in and, and provide guidance, either in a very hands-on direct way, or even just providing a technical strategy and advice. Right. Thank you. With your words, I think it's always a constantly iterative process where you, you have to be able to look at yourself and kind of make sure that you're on the right track. And if you identify things to, to change, then you follow through with yourself to actually change them. But it's a, it's a really nice way of having someone who you can trust to be an outsider and then, and then give you that unbiased view yeah. of what your company is doing. Yeah. We joke around that we offer no as a service. That's our, that's what <laughs> 
people will come to us if we join a project. They'll say, oh, we want to do A, B, C, D, E. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> no, that's not good. And, and that can be very hard for people to hear sometimes. That amount of honesty can be very difficult. But that's one of our core values. We have to be honest. We have to be even hard messages. It's very difficult for me. I'm an American. We're very direct, very direct people. People always say, oh, it's like the Dutch, but worse. Absolutely, that's true. But I work for a Belgian company, so I've really had to learn that diplomacy. It's something that I, I still need to practice myself every day. But even with that, we are bringing the firm message of, look, this will not work for you. You have to focus down on one thing to do. You have to say no to everything else. And you need to really listen to the people on your team. Those are the people that are right. Apple has this concept called direct responsible individual. And it's about pushing that decision-making as low as possible in the organization, listening to those people make the decision. And if they can't make the decision, that one person needs to be responsible to really follow through and find the right people that can make the decision and help them make that decision and give room for them to make that decision. And that's, I think, the thing that, unfortunately, in Croatian business culture, it's very much a top-down mentality of, I'm the boss, I know best. And I think that that's one thing that leaders can be better at is being humble and really listening. You hired these people for a reason because they're the experts. Why are you paying them so much money just to ignore them? Right. That's yeah. Usually they are closer to the problem and closer to the customers or the clients. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. We have covered a lot of ground when it comes to the technical audit of a startup. Is there anything else that you think is important to mention here? or that is important to know for companies who are, who are thinking about doing such a service Yeah, I think for themselves? Yeah, I think the, um, you have to partner with someone that you can trust. I think that's really important because um, it has to be someone that will provide you that unbiased opinion. I think you said that earlier. Um, of course, everyone is biased. I think acknowledging your biases is quite important, but everyone's going to be biased. I'm certainly biased towards digging into the, the product management side of things, the shaping side of things, but I think it's a very valid bias to have because I, I've seen it be a problem so many times. But yeah, I think it's just about listening to the people on your team. Make sure that they have enough space to do a good job. Don't worry about site by management, i.e. butts and seats or how many hours they're delivering, but instead focus on what is the outcome of their work. Are you getting the value from them that you are paying them for? Do they have enough flexibility in their time to do the absolute best work that they can, right? Or are they stuck in meetings? Or are they stuck working nine to five and half their brain is thinking about their child playing in the corner because they didn't have daycare service that day? So we try to really encourage people to, to break through the structures that don't actually add value and really think from a first principles, reason from first principles up about what's important to the success of the company and what information do people need to have in order to be successful and really trusting those people. You hired them. You should not be hiring people you don't trust. Trust them on the first day and build that psychological safety up and let, you know, give them the space to do the best work that they can do. That's what it's really about. Right. Thank you so much. And I would like to highlight one more thing that mm -hmm. you said, which I think is the absolute best way to say it, usually the people know what the problem is. Yep. And if you just ask them, they'll tell you. You just gotta listen. 
You got to do what your team says. And that's very hard. It's very hard. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. Dearest watchers and listeners, we've had this amazing conversation with Steve Tauber about conducting the startup audit when it comes to the technicalities and the processes and the team psychological safety. I think we have all learned a lot, but also we have learned that we already knew most of these things, but sometimes we just need that outside perspective to be able to start making progress on making a better company. Thank you, Steve, for joining us today. Please tell us where our listeners can follow your work or your online presence. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. You can find me on Twitter, Medium, and LinkedIn if you search for my name, Steve Tauber, altogether. And also, we are in the process of writing a book, and it's called Free Range Management. The subtitle is How to Manage Knowledge Workers by Creating Space. So you can go to freerange.management and you can sign up on our mailing list and we will notify you when the book is released, which will hopefully be very, very soon, but uh, to be to be edited, so. <laughs> nice, nice. We should never make promises we don't, That's true. Uh, That's true. we don't know how to keep or things that are not up to us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Dearest listeners and watchers, I am Karolina Toth. Today, my pleasure was to have Steve Tauber from Made With Love, where he is a CTO. And uh, we talked about the startup audit. Please let me know if you have any questions or comments. You can always reach out to me. Also, I am Karolina Toth, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.